what I want to do is I want to share with you a couple stories uh, about people who took that kind of step of faith, who walked out on the water and they didn't know where it was going to end or how it was going to end, but they just trusted God in the process of it. You ever feel like you want to do that? Like you just don't know what God's going to have for you, but you just know that he's moving you. Anybody in the room ever feel that way? Um, he, he wants us to risk, risk, and when we risk, when we step, when we take our next steps toward him, he meets us. He meets us. He does in us what we cannot do for ourselves. So what I want to do is uh, something that no preacher should ever do. I want to read most of an entire chapter of, a Bible, of the Bible to you, all right? Uh, it's found in the book of Hebrews, and there is this passage in the book of Hebrews where, where Paul is... He's, he's, uh, one of the, he's one of the guys who started most of the New Testament churches. He, he's like, we're, we're grateful for Paul's work because he planted Christian churches just like ours, and we are his legacy. That's where we're living, and we're living in his legacy. And, and so Paul begins to write this chapter about these men and women who had incredible stories of faith, how they took risk, how they, how they stepped out onto the water, and how God met them. And God used them in incredible ways. And I'm just going to read big portions of it to you and, and uh, maybe add a few comments a little bit. And then I'm going to show you a video about one man's life. And uh, we'll see what God would do with this today inside of you. So here's how it begins in Hebrews chapter 11. It says, faith is the confidence that, that what, uh, what we hope for will actually happen. It gives us assurance about things that we cannot see. So faith is this idea that there are times in our life that we know uh, God has got this, God has, has something for us, that God's going to carry something for us, but we're just not sure exactly how it's going to work out, but we have a confidence in a God that we cannot see. That's what faith is. It's knowing that God will somehow meet you, even when you're not quite sure how he's going to meet you. And it says, through their what? Through their Faith, this confidence in God, the people in the old, uh, the days of old earned a good reputation. So it's because of their faith that we're reading about them today. It's because of their trust in God that their willingness to step out and let God do something extraordinary. This is why their name went down in the history books and many of ours won't. It's because they did something with their faith. Here's what it says. By faith, we understand that the entire universe was formed at God's command, that, uh, that what we now see did not come from anything that, we, that can be seen. It was by faith that Abel brought a more acceptable offering to God than Cain did. Now, remember the story of Cain and Abel? Abel was seen as righteous, and from Abel's example, we learned that God wants our best. And Abel brings his best to God and says, God, this is what I got, but it's my best. It's all I got, but it's my best. And he gives it to God, and God looks at Abel, and he counts it as righteous, and his name goes down in history as, as somebody that God used in incredible ways. And it says, Abel's offering gave evidence that he was a righteous man, and God showed his approval of his gifts. Although Abel is long dead, he's gone now, listen, he still speaks to us by his example of what? Of faith. His name is still spoken. It was by faith he shifts gears and he talks about another man. It was by faith that a man named Enoch was taken up to heaven without dying. Now pause for a second. Some of these names will be new to you, but to the original readers of this, the Hebrew people, they knew these stories backwards and forward. And Paul is just reminding them of tremendous people who had a tremendous faith that God used in incredible ways. Now listen to this. It says, it was by faith that Enoch was taken up to heaven without dying. He disappeared because God took him. For before 
He was taken up. He was known as a person who pleased God. And it was impossible, and it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who are uh, sincerely what? Seek him. It takes faith. You want to see God work in your life? You have to step toward him. You have to risk sometimes. Trusting that he will meet you in the middle of that risk. Listen to this. He he shifts gears to another guy that they would have known very well. And some of y'all know this name. It was by faith that Noah, you guys remember the story of Noah? Big boat, a lot of water. He says this. It was by faith that Noah built a large boat to save his family from the flood. He obeyed God who warned him about the things that had never been happened before. By his faith, Noah condemned the rest of the world and he received righteousness that comes by faith. Now listen. He's saying that Noah did something that was never done before. Why would you build a big boat in the middle of the desert? But you see, Noah had this relationship with God where he sensed God's leading. He sensed God's voice. And he was convinced that God was taking him in a certain direction. And he stepped out in faith. And he moved toward it. And God continued to confirm his direction in his life. God used him. And we read his name today. And we know the name of Noah. Right? And then it says, it goes to another man. It says, uh, it, it was by faith that Abraham obeyed when God called him to leave home and go to another land that God would eventually give him as an inheritance. He went without knowing where he was going. And even when he reached the land God promised him, he lived there by faith. He was like a foreigner living in tents. And so did uh, Isaac and Jacob, his sons, uh, who, were inherit- who inherited the very same promise. Abraham was confidently looking forward to a city with eternal foundations. Y'all hear what he's saying? That Abraham was very unsure about this move because, listen, he had a life going on. He had a family going on. He had a business going on. And God began to speak to him about a whole new land, a land that we call the promised land. And he's, God speaks to Abraham and says, Abraham, you don't belong here. You belong over there. And through you, Abraham, I'm going to give a great inheritance. I'm going to start a people. I'm going to start a community that will literally bless the entire world through you, Abraham. And Abraham hears his voice of God, and he follows. He takes the risk. He's compelled to do this. Listen to this. Abraham was confidently looking forward to a city with eternal foundations, a city designed and built by who? By God. It was by faith that even Sarah, now Sarah was, listen, was, uh, it was by faith that Sarah was even able to have a child. They were, they were very old, like really, really old. And they never expected to have a child, thus they couldn't have the promise, thus they couldn't have the community of faith that would come behind them. And they're kind of going, I'm not so sure, God, that I'm hearing your voice right. But they trusted God, and it was by faith that Sarah eventually was able to conceive a child, though she was barren and too old. She believed that God would keep his promise. And so a whole nation came from this one man who was as good as dead. Think about that. It's kind of funny, right? Some of y'all are old, but I don't go around calling you as good as dead. But the scripture goes, this is how impossible this is. That Abraham and Sarah, they were as good as dead. And yet, God wasn't done with them. And yet God had great plans for them. Great hopes for them. And they stepped out in faith. Never too old. Never too dead. To obey God. Listen to this. A nation 
with so many people that like the stars in the sky or the sand on the seashore, there is no way to count them. That's who came after Abraham. All these people, a community of faith. All these people died still believing what God had promised them. They did not receive the promised land, but they saw it all from a distance and they welcomed it. They agreed that there were, they were foreigners and nomads here on earth. Obviously, people who, uh, who say such things are looking forward to a country that they can call their own. And we're going to start to turn our attention towards some people who lived on the other side of this world who eventually said, I want a new community, a different land, a land where I can love my God and serve my God. The roots of America. We're going to talk about this. But this was the same thing that Abraham longed for, a different land. Listen, if they had longed for, for the country they had come from, they could have gone back. They wanted, they wanted something new. Right? They wanted something new. This, that is why God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. And then he goes on and talks about his son Isaac, and he goes and talks about a, a lady named Rebecca, and all of these people, these incredible examples of faith, people who, who stepped out in order to see what God would do with their lives. Now listen to this. At the very end, I'm going to skip all the way down. This whole chapter is all about all of these incredible men and women who God used in incredible ways. And then listen to this. Verse 39. Because of faith, listen, all of these people earned a good what? Oh, not up there. All these people earned a good reputation because of their faith, and yet none of them actually received all that God had promised for them. For God had something better in mind for us. Something better. Let me tell you something, friends. Um, when, When I read stories like this, about how God used common and ordinary people because of a small faith that starts up inside of them and that they step out and they risk. It inspires me, it motivates me, it challenges me to follow him more completely, to walk out on the water which we just sing about, right, that we just sung about. It challenges me to take these steps. And I don't know where you are with faith. I don't know where you are in your relationship with God. But my hope is by the time we're done here today that you will be challenged to move forward. And let me tell you something. The story of God did not end with the people of Hebrews chapter 11. The story of God is still being built in our lives. God is still at work in this world through you and through me. He has great plans for us. And I want to share a story of one man who who said, the love of Christ compels me. A man who stepped out and took tremendous risks for God. And God used this man in incredible ways. Watch this.
Hey, you guys about ready to go? Yep. Are we rolling? And action. All right. Hey, Metro, we are about ready to take another one of our famous road trips. This time we are heading to Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, USA, and I am so pumped about this. As you know, it is the July 4th weekend. This is the weekend we celebrate our independence as a country, and God has most certainly blessed our nation. And this weekend, we are going to learn about one of the men that God used in incredible, incredible ways. Now, I get it. Uh, anytime you start talking about history, people start to freak out a little bit. They think it's irrelevant. Their eyes begin to glaze over. Their eyes roll back in their heads. Uh, no, 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 no. Trust me, friends. You're going to be inspired about how God uses men and women in incredible ways to do his purposes on earth. So sit back and take it all in and enjoy the ride because we're going to hit the road. You guys ready? Let's go. Uh, you, you probably want the rest of this in the van, huh? Yeah, I think we're gonna actually need that. Okay, let's. Uh... Hey, Metro! This is so exciting. We are finally here, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. This is an amazing city. It is a beautiful city and this is like a city filled with so much history it has rich unbelievable american history and we are standing in the very epicenter of it all this is the place that that god used an, an amazing man to do amazing amazing things this is the place where where this man used by god uh, did did incredible things to lift america to lift the spirit of america uh, he was the underdog of all underdogs who who just took us to whole new levels his name is rocky balboa wait wait jay what you made us drive all the way to Philadelphia so that we can make a film about Rocky Balboa? Yeah, a great American hero. Great American hero? He's he, incredible. He was a fictional character. What are you talking about? They, they made a statue of the guy, bronze statue. It was a fictional character in the 80s. No, listen, the statue was like 1800s, the same time they made the Washington statues and all that. You're crazy. You're listen, crazy. God used this guy to defeat the Russians for crying out loud. You're crazy. I'm not filming this. You don't even know what you're talking about. Come on. You know the guy who used to own this shop. His portrait's on the face of a $100 bill. Now, he kind of looks like the Quaker Oak guy, but his name is Benjamin Franklin, and this was his print shop. Now, we know Benjamin Franklin as a great scientist. He, he discovered all kinds of things. Like, like, for example, he was the guy who discovered electricity. You may remember the experiment. He had the kite flying in the storm with the little string attached and the key and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, that was Ben Franklin. But not only was Ben Franklin a great scientist, he was an inventor. He invented, for example, the, the bifocals and the wood-burning stove and flippers. You know, the flippers you swim with. Yeah, that was Ben Franklin's doing. 
But not only was Ben Franklin a great inventor, he was a great statesman as well. And we owe much of our nation's independence to him. His thinking, his wisdom, his leadership, and his diplomacy were indispensable to the American cause. As a matter of fact, Ben Franklin is the only founding father who has the distinction of signing all three documents that secured the independence of the United States of America. The Declaration of Independence, the Treaty of Paris, and the Constitution of the United States. But here's the thing, old Ben Franklin was not Pennsylvania's only native son who was a founding father. No, there was another Benjamin, one who America has largely forgotten because his face never ended up on the front of a $100 bill. But this Benjamin, like Benjamin Franklin, was a great innovator, statesman, founding father, and signer of the Declaration of Independence. This is the story of Dr. Benjamin Rush. We're here on the corner of Walnut and 3rd Street in downtown Philadelphia. This is the traditional home site of Dr. Benjamin Rush. This is where he lived in the 1790s in a three-story home. Now, the home has long been since torn down and the place has been turned into a park in his honor. But the story of Benjamin Rush is an amazing story and it needs to be told. Benjamin Rush was born way back in 1746 in a small town called Byberry, Pennsylvania, just outside of Philadelphia. Now, sadly, young Benjamin Rush knew death at an early age. When he was just six years old, his father passed away. And this was in an era where the death of a father meant incredibly difficult times for a family. But Benjamin Rush proved to be a very capable and worthy student. He graduated Princeton University when he was just 14 years old. And you thought your kid was doing well. He's 14 years old and he now has a medical degree, but he was too young to actually begin practicing medicine. And so he spends the next several years of his life as what they called a medical apprentice or what we would call a resident doctor today. He, he, he studied medicine under other doctors here in Philadelphia and was shipped over to Edinburgh, Scotland to further his studies in medicine. Though least famous of all the founding fathers, we're going to learn that perhaps Benjamin Rush is the most admirable of them all. And though his family home has long been turned into a garden plot in the middle of the city, we're going to learn that he soon made history at Independence Hall located just down the road from his house. And we're also going to learn that he became dear friends with, with a neighbor who lived just around the corner, the ever famous and the ever ambitious Mr. Benjamin Franklin. As a matter of fact, upon his death in 1813 at the age of 67, Benjamin Rush was thought of as one of the three most notable founding fathers, ranking right up there with George Washington and Benjamin Franklin. As a matter of fact, he was thought of more highly than his two other dear friends, Thomas Jefferson and John Adams. But today, his contributions both to God and country have long been since forgotten, but we're about to change all that. This is it. 
Independence Hall, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Many consider this to be the birthplace of America. In this very building, our forefathers debated the idea that would become the great experiment of government that would be for the people, by the people, a land that we would eventually call America. Dr. Rush was among the first to realize the growing rift between Great Britain and her colonies while he was still over in Europe studying medicine. But upon his return to America, he began to immediately write for the cause of independence. He believed that America should be a free land and her people free to rule themselves. But he was harshly criticized by people wondering, why should a medical doctor be involved in politics at all? But Rush believed that this was an idea that would separate America and that it was an idea that would make America great. Rush believed that, that every man had a right to his opinion. He believed that people were free to voice their opinion and to have a right to say how they should be governed and by whom they should be governed. He believed that everyday people, people like you and me, factory workers and teachers and doctors and even preachers have the right to their voice being heard and that, and that it's not just the voice of the rich and the aristocrats and the noblemen that should rule over the land, but people like you and me. This was a noble idea. This was a radical idea in the world at that time. Dr. Rush's efforts led to some incredible friendships with other founding fathers, very famous founding fathers like John Adams, who was our second president, and Thomas Jefferson, who was our third president, and of course, with Ben Franklin. As a matter of fact, this great city, the city of Philadelphia, elected Dr. Benjamin Rush to represent them in the First Continental Congress because they believed that he would fight for their rights as independent citizens, as, as people who were free and secure to live life the way that they chose to live life. And it was in this very room that those delegates, including Dr. Benjamin Rush, signed the Declaration of Independence, risking their lives and their fortunes. In July of 1776, America separated from Britain and war loomed on the horizon as the revolution officially began. The Continental Congress immediately began recruiting physicians to treat the wounded on the battlefield, and Dr. Benjamin Rush was among the first to answer the call. Eventually, he became the U.S. Surgeon General, the very first U.S. Surgeon General of the Continental Congress. Now, this led Rush to a lifetime of medical experimentation. While on the battlefield, he was able to, to try different techniques in order to treat people's disease and medical conditions. And this led to him coming up with an answer for a common ailment of the time. It was called lockjaw. Lockjaw was where, where people suddenly could not talk. Their, their jaw would literally lock up. After the war, he continued to serve his nation as a member of Congress, and long after he signed the Declaration, he stayed interested in politics. As a matter of fact, he became one of the leading voices for the adoption of this new thing called the Constitution and the Bill of Rights, which secure our individual rights today. And while many of the signers were discouraged by the compromises that had to be made, Dr. Rush said it like this, that the Constitution achieved a genius act of balance, limiting each of the branches of government. The three branches of government were so important to him because it limited the power of any one man or any one system of government. Because he, like many of our founding fathers, decided that they would never live under the rule of a king again, that they nor their children would ever have one man decide the destiny for all. 
And just like today, all the political parties were fighting like angry cats and dogs. But somehow, Dr. Rush was able to remain above the fray. He was able to remain above the ugliness. As a matter of fact, his integrity and character gained the respect of almost everybody around, so much so that he was eventually appointed the treasurer of the U.S. Mint by three separate presidents from three separate political parties. I think one of the most potent lines that Dr. Rush ever spoke was this. When asked which political party he identified with, he said, I am neither an aristocrat or a democrat. I am a Christocrat. And that sounds like a pretty sensible attitude to me. Mother Bethel African Methodist Episcopal Church. Now that's a very long, long name, but it's a very significant church. This church is the oldest continually owned and operated piece of land in all of America by African Americans. Uh, this is a significant place. It really is. You see, when Dr. Benjamin Rush was alive, he vehemently opposed slavery. He thought it violated the teachings of Jesus and the Christian church, and so he partnered with black leaders like, like Richard Allen, the man who started this church, to, to end slavery and to promote a better life for black citizens in America. As a matter of fact, Dr. Rush actually was intimately involved with this church. He worshipped in this church when white people simply did not worship with black people. He not only helped fund this church, but he personally was a large donor to this church. He had such a good relationship with Pastor Allen that Pastor Allen eventually wrote of him these words. He, Dr. Rush, espoused the cause of the oppressed, and he sided with us in building this house of the Lord for the poor Africans to worship in. Dr. Benjamin Rush so believed that slavery was wrong that he and his dear friend, Mr. Ben Franklin, started the very first anti-slavery society in all of America called the Pennsylvania Society for the Abolition of Slavery. Matter of fact, Dr. Benjamin started to write scathing pamphlets and papers about the evils of slavery in America. He wanted to see it end. As a matter of fact, he once quoted this, that, that America should not be stained by the importation of a single African slave to this nation. He not only lobbied here stateside to end slavery, but he also wrote his international friends, imploring them to fill the newspapers with stories and anecdotes about the cruelties and evils of slavery. Benjamin Rush lived his life as a committed Christian. He was an admirer and follower of Jesus Christ. He said it was, it was what motivated his life. As a matter of fact, it's, it's very interesting. Dr. Rush played an important role in starting the Sunday School Society in all of America, and he was a Sunday School teacher right up until his death. He also started this little thing called the International Bible Society, which was responsible for the first national printing of the Bible in all of the United States of America. This constant desire for scientific knowledge led for him to gain the title the father of modern chemistry. Dr. Rush believed in education. He eventually went into the field of education. As a matter of fact, he became the youngest professor at any state university in the country. 
He was just 23 years old when he became the professor of chemistry at the University of Pennsylvania. But he was a lover of education because he believed that education was a pathway for people to become all that God wanted them to become. Education was so important to him that he became known as the father of, of public education in America. He became one of the leading voices, leading proponents for public education. As a matter of fact, he was the man who proposed that, that our property taxes pay for public schools. So if that's good or bad, you be the judge. But clearly, Dr. Rush believed that a better educated world was the way for a better world. Now, the other thing that Dr. Rush thought so highly of was this idea that education could keep people away from crime. One of the things that he thought was that, that we spend as a nation, even back then, so much money on punishing crime and so little money educating people away from crime. But here's the catch for Benjamin Rush. He thought that at the centerpiece of all education, public or private, needed to be God and God's word. He thought God's word was the moral compass, the moral guide for all of humanity. And the more people knew of God's word, the better humanity would treat one another. And so all of this led Dr. Rush to either found or co-found five universities, including the very first university that educated women in America. Dr. Rush clearly put his faith into practice. are at Pennsylvania Hospital. It is the oldest hospital in continuous use in all of America. And this was the hospital that Ben Rush's friend, Ben Franklin, founded. Now, what's really interesting to me about this is that on the inside of this hospital, the seal of this hospital, the symbol of this hospital, Ben Franklin had personally put there. And it's an interesting seal. It contains the, the, the imagery and the verse from the book of Luke that tells the Good Samaritan story. And on the seal, it literally says, take care of him and I will repay thee. This was Ben Franklin's heart, that humanity should care for humanity, that we should love one another, that we should be good Samaritans to one another. And you remember the story, right? It's the, it's the story in the scripture where, you, where the fellow asks, well, who is my neighbor? And Jesus' implication is that everybody's your neighbor. Love people around you. Love them even when it costs you something. Well, Ben Rush believed this as well. Dr. Dr. Rush believed with all of his heart that he was called by God to serve people in the medical field. And he served for over 30 years of his life at this very hospital. During those 30 years, in 1793, something horrible, mysterious, and deadly struck the city of Philadelphia. The yellow fever hit. The yellow fever was this acute viral disease that caused internal hemorrhaging, fever, and if left untreated, would result in death. The problem is, back then, nobody knew how to treat it. In the next 100 days, nearly one-tenth of the entire city of Philadelphia died from the fever. It was the American plague, killing thousands seemingly overnight. As people fled the city, nearly all the healthcare workers and the doctors fled as well. They were afraid for their own life. But not Dr. Rush. Dr. Rush believed that he was called by God to help the hurting, that, he, that it was his call on his life to treat the least of these, to help the least of these. And so he began to experiment. He began to try to figure out a cure for this disease. But what's amazing is this. At the height of the infection, only three doctors were left in the entire city of, of Philadelphia. And they began to attack this disease. In this very hospital, Dr. Rush himself contracted the disease, not once, but twice 
place. And he experimented on himself, trying to figure out what would save people. And he saved himself. And he saved literally 6,000 other patients in just a three-month time. I love what Dr. Benjamin said during the height of this epidemic. Standing in front of the very few students that he had left, he said this. He said he believed that God had called him to this. And he said, though I may fall victim to this epidemic, and so may you, gentlemen, I prefer, since I have been placed here by God, to fall doing my duty. That is a great man. That is a man who knew the call of God on his life. The life of Benjamin Rush ended April 13, 1813. Now, during his action-packed, service-oriented life, he ably served our nation as an educator, as a doctor, as a statesman, as a public servant, a humanitarian, and as an American patriot. And yet we barely scratched the surface of his life. And if you start to think about all that this man accomplished in his life, it makes me at least think that I'm a, a little bit of an underachiever. But I think one of the greatest accomplishments of Dr. Rush was how he put together a friendship that was long since broken. Many of you don't know this, but John Adams and Thomas Jefferson, who, John Adams was our second president and Thomas Jefferson was our third, and, and, and they, were, they were friends well before the presidency years for them. And, and they were political allies, and together they helped forge this nation. But during the presidency of John Adams, uh, Thomas Jefferson was the vice president, and through these years, their friendship drifted, as did their political alliance. And by the end of Adams' presidency, they were not even on speaking terms. As a matter of fact, uh, in, the, in the 1800 election, Jefferson won over Adams, and Adams was so sore by it that he left Washington without even watching the inauguration of his ex-friend, Thomas Jefferson. Well, years and years went by, and they did not speak to each other. There was a bitterness that grew in both of their souls, and it was Benjamin Rush who decided that this could not stand that these two American patriots could no longer be divided. And so Benjamin Rush started in on, on building this relationship again, mending this relationship, and he carried letters back and forth from Jefferson to Adams, and he was the go-between, the in-between. And finally, in 1812, just a year before his death, he got to witness Jefferson and Adams reconcile with one another. Now, what's also interesting is several years later, both Jefferson and Adams died on the same day, on 4th of July, which I think is a little bit ironic. And both of them said that Rush was the man who helped build their friendship again. Dr. Rush had an incredible impact both on his fellow man and his nation. Though far from perfect, he tried to live out his faith in social action. He tried to live out what he believed. As a matter of fact, when asked what compelled him, he would say this, that I am compelled by the gospel of Jesus Christ. He admired Christ and wanted to reflect Christ to the world. He tried to live out what Paul spoke of in the book of 1 Corinthians. I do all of this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessing. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last 
forever. Great men are motivated to great acts like this because of a great heart. And certainly Dr. Rush had a great heart, both for God, for men, and for his country. Dr. Benjamin Rush was a great American. I think. You know, when you see a life like this, you can have two reactions. Uh, one, it can be very discouraging because you go, man, I got to get something going in my life, right? I mean, you look at, I didn't even tell you that. I think it was like by the age of 17, he knew five languages. And he started uh, the first hospital for psychiatric care in America. I mean, what else you got to do in life, right? Um, but you can be discouraged when you look at a life like this, or you can be encouraged. You can be motivated. You, you can be challenged to take the next steps in your own life. You can look at a, 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 a very simple poor farm kid and what they did with their lives. And you can be challenged by that. As a matter of fact, in the scripture, we just read through the entire, you know, or a good portion of chapter 11 of, of the book of Hebrews, this hall of faith, right, we call it, right? These, these famous God followers who God did incredible things through their life. And, and we look at this and, and we see a story like this. It's, but the scripture goes on and says, because you see these kinds of people, because you see the, the, how God can use common and ordinary people in extraordinary ways, he goes on and he says something to you and to me about the life we ought to live. This is what he says in the very next chapter, chapter 12. Paul says this. He says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, in other words, because of the Moseses and the Abrahams and the Sarahs and the Enochs and the Benjamin Rushes, he says, because of what you have seen, well, because of what you've seen faith do in the life or through the life of, of people, what you've seen God do in the life of people. Listen, because of that, he says, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the weight of sin that so easily trips us, us, uh, us up, and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. In other words, my guess is, is that every single person in this room at one time or another has felt God compelled them towards something to do something, to stretch towards something, to, to make something different, to make something better, to, to mend a brokenness, to, to change who you are in some way, and to change our world in some way. He says, because of that, he says, let us run that race that God has laid before you. He says, we do this by keeping our eyes on who? Jesus. We do this by locking our eyes, fixing our eyes on Jesus. And then it says this, this is interesting, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. In other words, you think about all that Jesus had to go through and all that he accomplished for us. He says, let that motivate you, let that encourage you, let that challenge you. You think about all of these people, Abraham, Noah, and all the line there, and you think about the Benjamin rushes of this world. He says, let that motivate you to live a life of faith. You know, the interesting thing about the gospel is the gospel's not over. The interesting thing about the story of God is the story of God is not over. It is alive in us. God is waiting to, to create the next story of a world changer. I don't know what God has called you to, but I do know this. God has not called me and God has not called you to sit idly by and let this world just slip into eternity and do nothing. Amen?
We may not be the next Benjamin Rush or Ben Franklin or George Washington. We may not be the next Enoch or Moses or Noah. But man, I know that God has plans for me. And I know God has plans for you, for your children. My hope is that you'll be encouraged as you walk out of here to listen for the voice of God, to obey the voice of God, to take chances, to take risks, to step toward him. Amen? Amen. So here's what I want to do to end this time together, and I hope that you have a new uh, found reason to celebrate Independence Day. Um, You know, our world is quickly erasing the God story from America, but God is alive and, and well here. God is at our foundation, and he is at the center of our community now. He ought to be. Um, I think for far too long we have uh, rode on the blessings or ridden on the blessings of our forefather. We need to get this right. Our generation has to make sure God is in the